Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. I'll give you a hint as to where that can be found. Right? Probably after first. Yes. After Genesis, yes. Very good. Very good. Toward the end. New Testament. You students are the brightest students that I've had today. I appreciate you guys being so bright today. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Well, we've been on a, uh, on a long journey uh, as we've, we've spent nigh unto six months uh, studying the second coming of Christ. I think that this week is probably week 22 or 23 that we've been studying the second coming of Christ. Um, what I would like to do this morning is cover the second chapter of 2 Thessalonians. That is the part of this chapter we have not covered. We have covered a couple of, a uh, couple, maybe three verses of this chapter as it related to something else we were studying. But I would like to study uh, the, uh, the first 12 verses of this chapter together because there's several things in here that are relevant to what we've been studying, uh, especially the last couple of weeks. And uh, Lord willing, this, uh, uh, this week and then next week will be the final lessons in the, uh, the subject of the second coming of Christ. And so we'll try to, if, if we can, if I can get through this uh, today, we'll try to conclude uh, next week with that and then maybe move on to something different uh, uh, after that. So I hope it's been a blessing to you as we've studied these things. I know it's helped me as I've thought through these things and really, you know, every time you, every time you study a subject, some things that you thought maybe weren't so clear become more clear. And, uh, and that's, that's, of course, helped me, and I've, I really hope it's helped you as well. Uh, so let's, let's pray, and then we're going to read the first uh, 12 verses of 2 Thessalonians chapter, uh, chapter 2, okay? Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you so much for loving us, and uh, thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, sometimes we live and uh, we go through our lives without being conscious of how good you are to us each and every day. Uh, Lord, we, we pray for the burdens of those that are here, the burdens of those uh, who, who are here, who have loved ones who bear great burdens. Lord, please give grace to the things that were mentioned and, uh, and mercy and uh, peace and comfort where that's needed. As we study 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Lord, first of all, we want to acknowledge, Lord, we believe this is your word. Lord, help us to live like we believe that. Help us to really apply what it says and to uh, respond to it and answer what the Word of God says in a way that's pleasing to you. Lord, would you please meet with us and guide us as we study these things on the subject of the second coming of Christ. Lord, help us to see the truth uh, in uh, clear focus without any distraction. And uh, Lord, would you please help your people through your Word this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, verse number 1, the Bible says this, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him, 
that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause... God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. So the subject of this begins in verse number one, and it says, Now we seek you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. Now, here's what I want us to, as we pass by this verse, here's what I want us to remember. We know that the coming of Christ, we've spent a lot of time studying it. We know the coming of Christ has a lot of different facets, a lot of different events that are under the umbrella of the coming of Christ. We looked at some of the major events of the tribulation. We've studied uh, the day of the Lord. We've looked at that in in some uh, detail. We've studied about how he returns, his physical revelation, and, and all those things. And as it concerns the world... You know, all, all of those things are relevant. All of those things are significant. You think about the judgment and you think about uh, the coming kingdom and, and all of those things that are relevant to the world. We read about signs in the heavens and signs upon the earth. And of course, in the, even in this chapter, we read about the Antichrist and the associated miracles that he performs. And all of those things are primarily relevant to the world, the world of the unbelievers, Right? But to us, verse 1 is particularly applicable because he says, I beseech you, brethren, by coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. See, to the Christian, the gathering of God's people together, we call it what? The, 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 come on now, be brave, stick your neck out. The rapture, exactly. The gathering together of God's people is what is particularly relevant to us. Now, we know there's a lot of other things that, that, uh, that follow that event. But for us, this is the real kind of essential thing that we're looking for. And we know that with the rapture comes, in other words, the rapture, for those of you don't, that maybe haven't been here, the rapture referring to being snatched away. Um, with the rapture comes the resurrection, a new body 
freedom from sin forever. Uh, and so that's what that's talking about in verse number one, the rapture. In other words, as it concerns the coming of the Lord to the Christian, our gathering to him, our gathering together, all together with him, is our prime, what's primarily in view to us. And that's, what's, that's what we see here. Verse two, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, nor be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Okay, so apparently, now follow it. Apparently someone, someone had been teaching this church that the day of Christ was here. It already happened. The coming of the Lord had already happened. And they were so, this deceiver was troubling the church and had gone to such great lengths to convince this church that Jesus had already come, that they were willing to forge Paul's writing. All right, that's what he says. Don't, do, uh, be not troubled or shaken in mind. He says, nor by letter as from us. In other words, people had apparently been writing a letter in Paul's name saying Paul was the author, saying it's already over. Jesus has already come. Now look at, if you would, look at uh, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 17, which is interesting. Look what it says. This is the end of this, of this epistle that Paul's writing. Look at what it says. He says, The salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle. So I write. What does that mean? That means, sir? Exactly. What that means is Paul had a, 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 a history or a, a method when he wrote an epistle, often he would use a, what do they call those? A scribe. I was thinking of the more modern ghostwriter. What are they, stenographer? Is that what they call them? Or a, huh? Yeah, that, secretary. All right, secretary. So he often has someone to whom he dictated, but even when he dictated the letter, he would as a token, that is as a mark, a sign of the authenticity of the letter, he would write with his own hand a salutation at the end, which, which I guess might have been distinctive so that they knew Paul wrote this. And a lot of people think that Paul had problems with his vision. And so if that was the case, you know, the writing would probably be large, which means it would have been ever, even more evident that he had signed it, which meant the letter and everything in it was authentic. And Paul being an apostle, that mattered a lot because if it was written by someone else who did not have that, that authority or, or that uh, call upon his life as an apostle of Christ, it, the letter would not have meant the same. It would not have carried the same weight as the word of God. And so Paul had a token. That's what the token means. It's a mark of authenticity. But notice what it says back in verse number, uh, chapter 2, verse 2. That the, as that the day of Christ is at hand. You know, this should bring comfort to us. The coming of the Lord is not some secret thing like some Bible teachers teach. In other words, Jesus, for you sitting here, Jesus cannot come and you not know it. <laughs> Which is what they're saying here, right? When Jesus comes, you'll know it. You know, but some people do teach that the coming of Christ is a spiritual event. It's already happened. We are in the millennium. This is what we call amillennialism. 
that the millennium is a, we are in the millennium right now. Jesus is reigning in the hearts of his people. That's how they, they describe it. But see, the problem is, this is exactly what he's addressing. The coming of Christ is an event. You don't need to be troubled. He hasn't come yet. He hasn't come yet, which is kind of funny that because we know how he comes and it's a major event. You know, it's not something you could like overlook or, or pass through and not know it, you know? So, so this is, that I think this is a good argument why, the, another argument why that the amillennialism is not, can't be scriptural. The coming of the Lord is a physical event, a literal event. And when it happens, you're going to know it. Now, if you, if you look, hold your place here and look at uh, Jeremiah chapter 23. Actually, look at 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 8. 1 Samuel. I want to look at this term at hand real quick. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 8. Look what it says. Because at hand is not really a word we use very often, so I want to help you to kind of understand what this is saying. At hand does not mean near. At hand means here, right? Okay? Verse, uh, chapter, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse number 8 says this. This is in the issue with Saul when he's, when he's uh, lost the, uh, uh, when Ch- I'm sorry, when Saul's chosen to be king. It says this, And the servant answered Saul again and said, Behold, I have here at hand the fourth part of a shekel of silver, that that will I give to the man of God to tell us our way. So when they're lost and they're, they're trying to find the, the donkeys, he says, I have, he said, I have money. I, it's at hand. It's in my pocket, in other words. Right? Look at Jeremiah chapter 23, if you would. This is important because this phrase comes up when we start looking at the coming of the Lord. It says the coming of the Lord is at hand. Christ is at hand. Jeremiah 23, verse number 23. Look at what it says. Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God at afar off? What does that mean? If God is a God that is at hand, what does that mean? Help me now. Help me now. He's here, right? He's here. He's not distant. He's here. At hand means you can reach it with your hand, right? That's what it means. So my Bible is at hand, right? When the Bible says the coming of the Lord is at hand, I mean, it is imminent. It is upon us, right? And uh, so that's what they were afraid of. Going back to our text here in 2 Thessalonians, it says this, Be not soon shaken in mind, be troubled, as that the day of Christ is at hand. In other words, Jesus is here. He has come. But notice, we got to understand this this term, the day of Christ, all right? We have already studied the idea of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is, is a day not of happiness and joy, but a day of judgment, right? The day of Christ is not that. The day of the Lord is something that goes back to the Old Testament and is, is prophesied throughout the Old Testament. Well, you might say, well, Jesus Christ is the Lord. Yeah, we know that. But the term is not, does not refer to the same thing. The day of Christ is something different. Now, hold your place here again. Look at uh, Philippians. To the le- go to the left in your Bible, just a couple of books. Philippians chapter number 1. We'll read uh, three verses in Philippians here to kind of give us a... Uh, This meaning here, Philippians chapter 1, verse number 6. 
says this, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of what? Day of Jesus Christ. So if he's, if he's working in you and he's working in me, when is he going to complete that work? Well, when Jesus comes. So that's the day of Christ. We would call it the rapture, okay? Look at chapter 1, verse 10. You're right there. He says that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Again, you're living for God until you see Him, until you see Jesus, right? Again, a reference to the rapture and then the reward and the judgment seat of Christ that immediately follows. Okay, look at chapter 2, verse 16. Look what it says. Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in, what? The day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So you can see in those three, ver- in those three verses in Philippians that the day of Christ, as Paul used it, is a reference to when we see Him, when Jesus returns and we are gathered together unto Him in the rapture, because that's the time in which the Lord, uh, we stand before Him and He rewards us according to our faithfulness. And that's what He's talking about, when we won't be ashamed before Him. Okay, so that's what we're taught. That's the context of the Second Thessalonians, right? You, we have to establish that. So when we see day of Christ, we're not talking about the day of the Lord and judgment. We're talking about they were afraid that the rapture had happened. Okay, keep reading. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. Now, let me explain to you. We've already studied about the falling away. All right? I'm not going to rehash those verses. I will just give you kind of the, hopefully you remember what we've studied. But you remember in 1 Timothy chapter 4, it says that many will depart from the faith. Right? In uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. We've looked at, we've examined all of these passages together. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 says that in the last days there will come scoffers walking after their own lusts. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And it says they shall turn their ears from the truth. These are four passages of Scripture that clearly say, as the coming of the Lord approaches, the spiritual life of Christianity, not the world, Christianity will degrade, will decay, okay? This is the falling away. Falling away is not a reference to the world. You can't fall away from something you were never at. This is not a rejection of God. By the world. No, the falling away is a departure from the faith by those who once believed it. So here's what we find. The Lord says in our chapter, 2 Thessalonians 2, that before the rapture, before Jesus comes and we're gathered to Him, there will be a falling away. In other words, the, hear me now, the spiritual state of Christianity at the time of the coming of the Lord will be decayed. That's what it's saying. It will be degraded and it will be, it'll be 
uh, it'll be in decline. Now, that should not surprise you and me because last week we studied about what? The church of Laodicea. Remember? We studied that. And remember, what was the state of, of the church at Laodicea? It was in decline. Jesus, so much so that Jesus rejected them. All right, so hear me now. The final state of Christianity before the Lord returns for us will be a decayed state. Not a state of revival, but a state of decay. The Lord has told us this before. And every day that we live, every year that passes, we see it. It's not, it shouldn't be surprising to us. And you know what? This perfectly aligns with everything we've studied. And you know what the Lord's answer to this is? He says what? What, 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 did, we, what did we read in Revelation chapter 3 in, in the church to uh, Sardis and the church to Philadelphia? He said, hold fast. You know what that means to Choice Hills Baptist Church? That means here's what you have to expect. The, the spiritual... Temperature, the spiritual condition of Christianity, I use air quotes because ultimately Jesus rejects this, right? But the spiritual condition of Christianity around us, the Lord has already told us, it is going to decay before he returns. It must decay before he returns. In our text, it says that, falling away first, right? It must decay. But the Lord says to us, Hold fast. That means as the spiritual condition of Christianity, forget about the world. Don't even, don't even pay attention. We, 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 I say we, including myself, look at Fox News and whatever, you know, CNN, MSNBC, whatever your news outlet is, probably way too much. And we identify with those people way too much. Forget about that. That's the world. The Lord says the spiritual uh the spiritual condition of Christianity is going to decay before he comes. And as it decays around us, the Lord says, you need to be careful and you should not decay with it. Hold fast. That means you're going to have to resist that decay and I'm going to have to resist the decay in our spiritual lives, that, that current that's pulling us. Right? Well, all these other churches are doing it. And I'm not talking about, listen, we can talk about music. We can talk about, you know, the different things that are brought into church. But, but just forget about that for a moment. Those, those things are primarily external. But what brings those things about is a spiritual decay. It doesn't mean that a piano is somehow uh, sanctified by, by virtue of being a piano. No, 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 no. It's, it's, a, it's a frame of mind built upon uh, spiritual decay. And the Lord says that's going to be the condition of the church before he returns. But he says to us, hold fast. Hold fast. These trends that we see are not of God. These trends, that are, oh, it's new and upcoming and this and that and the other. And again, I'm not talking about the externals, the technology. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the, the thinking, the spiritual trends. Because the thinking and the spiritual trends are what is driving all the external changes that you see. You shouldn't concentrate simply on the externals. 
It's the philosophies and the spiritual beliefs that is driving these things. Lord says, hold fast. Hold fast. Hold fast. Hold fast. Now, jump down to verse number. He says, except they're coming falling away first and that man of sin be revealed. I'm going to mention this briefly. I don't want to spend a lot of time here. Some people view this verse as saying, Jesus can't return unless there's a falling away first and the revelation of the Antichrist. In other words, the Antichrist shows up first before Jesus returns. But the problem with that, besides all the things we've studied, is that the word first, the word first does not occur after the revelation of the Antichrist. It, it, it occurs before, after the falling away. It, it does not say, except there come the falling away and the man of sin be revealed first. Now, if it said that, that'd be a different story. But because first is, is where it is, we understand that the, the only condition is the falling away. And that's revealed further on in the chapter. Look what it says. Now, of course, we know the man of sin is the Antichrist. Okay? We know that verse 4, what he, what he does, we've already studied that. Verse 5 Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things, verse 6, and now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. This is the Antichrist. Nobody knows who he is. He has not been revealed. He will be revealed when Jesus returns and we're gathered together unto him after that. Verse 7, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Don't let the word let... Don't let the word let throw you off, okay? Here's what the word let means. This is a, a word we don't use in this definition very often anymore, anymore at all, actually. It just means to hinder, to prevent, to obstruct, or to stand in the way of. So he who now letteth is not to allow. It's he who now hinders or, or restrains or obstructs, Okay? Interesting note as I was studying this is this word let is used, uh, if any of you are familiar with the history of the Bible, the Tyndale Bible was the first Bible translated into English out of the original languages, okay, Greek and Hebrew. The 1934 edition says this, in effect, and this is a verse you're probably familiar with, likewise ye men dwell with them according to knowledge, talking about the wives, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as unto them that are heirs also of the grace of life that your prayers be not let. See how that word let is used? Now we know in our Bible it says what? That your prayers be not hindered. Same word though, right? That's what the word let means. So here's what I want you, want you to understand from this. In fact, the word let in verse number seven is the same word, but it's translated differently in verse 6, the word withholdeth. Same word. It's just translated differently. But it has the same meaning. So here's what we have here. The Antichrist cannot be revealed until this person who is obstructing or restraining his revelation is taken out of the way. Okay? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. The identity of this person, this hindering person, is not, is not plainly spoken in this passage. 
But there are some common ideas. Some people believe it's the Holy Spirit. Some people believe it is the church. Some people believe it's the Roman Empire. Some people believe it's Michael the archangel. But here's what we do know about this, he who now letteth, this person who hinders and obstructs the revelation of the Antichrist. Number one, this person is, is set against the power of Satan, right? The revelation of the Antichrist is a dramatic shift and increase in the power of the devil. The second thing is this person has the power, has the power to restrain the work of Satan. Now that narrows it down big time, right? <laughs> Whoever is restraining the Antichrist, who the devil is, is of the Antichrist, whoever is restraining the Antichrist has great power. That really narrows it down to God himself, basically, right? And so here's what I think it is, and I'll show you why. I believe this person is, this person is the Holy Spirit present in God's people on the earth. That's what I think this person is. The Holy Spirit present in God's people on the earth. It seems most likely. All right, I'm going to read this from this commentary. I thought it, it was a good, a good uh, description and explanation of this, this, this verse. The Holy Spirit of God is the only person with sufficient power to do this restraining. Some, uh, some object to this being the Holy Spirit on the grounds that that Greek word is neuter, what is that which withholdeth and holding back. But this is no problem for two reasons. Number one, the neuter is sometimes used of the Holy Spirit. And number two, in this verse, the words are masculine, the one who restrains, the one who lets. How does he do it? How does the Holy Spirit do it? Through Christians whom he indwells and through whom he works in society to hold back the swelling tide of lawless living. How will he be taken out of the way? When the church leaves the earth in the rapture, the Holy Spirit will be taken out of the way in the sense that his unique lawlessness restraining ministry through God's people will be removed. The removal of the restrainer at the, at the time of the rapture must obviously precede the day of the Lord. Paul's reasoning is thus a strong argument for the pre-tribulational rapture. Uh, the Thessalonians were not in, in the great tribulation because the rapture had not yet occurred. I thought it was pretty good. Now, why do I think this about the Holy Spirit? I'm obviously not going to have time to cover everything I wanted to cover. So, all right, let's just dive in here. Look at John chapter 16, if you would. John 16. Verse 8. This passage is talking about the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is promising, once He goes back to heaven, He's promising He'll send the Comforter. All right. Most of you are probably familiar a little bit with this promise. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 says this, And when He is come, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, He, look at it closely now, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, 
Now, in this passage, let me ask you, how does the Holy Spirit come? Jesus says, I will send him. He will come. How does the Holy Spirit come? This is a little bit tricky. Anybody want to venture out on that one? This is a promise Jesus makes that the Spirit of God will come to indwell believers. Right? So this Holy Spirit comes by coming to live within every believer. And he does this ministry of reproving the world. Notice the world, right? He reproves the world by his presence in the believers. So, so actually, it's, it's actually a tandem kind of cooperation between God and the Spirit, the Spirit of God inside of believers, us. All right, let's look at, uh, go to John chapter 3. We'll stay in John for a minute. What we're talking about is the reason why this restraining person who has power to restrain the devil, who restrains the revelation of the Antichrist and must do so until the Lord returns, why, why it seems that this person is probably the Spirit of God. John chapter 3, verse number 20. My pages are sticking together. There we go. John 3, verse 20 says this, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deed should be, what? Proved. That's the same word that the Holy Spirit will do. Now, we know that Jesus is the light, but Jesus isn't here. He's left his people here as the light because the light of the world, Jesus, is gone. But his light is in us, right? And so because we are light, as he was light, what does light do? It reproves evil. And that's one of the functions of the church in the world. That's one of the functions of the Spirit of God in the church in the world. It reproves evil. It reproves evil. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, if you would. I know we're jumping around, but that's why we're in Sunday school. Ephesians 5, verse, look at this. This is a clear statement. Ephesians 5, look at verse 11. Ephesians 5, verse 11. It says this, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Notice the mention of light and darkness, right? But rather, what? Reprove them. The works of darkness, evil, okay? So this is written to Christians. The Holy Spirit, when, it, when the Bible says, when the Holy Spirit comes, that is, comes to indwell Christian believers, that he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And here the Bible says that we as believers should not fellowship with darkness, but reprove darkness. Same thing. These are, these are all together. And so this is, this is the, uh, uh, the one other example I wanted to give you is in John 8. We won't look at it for time. But when, when, those, when they brought the woman taken in adultery and they wanted Jesus to, to give his word to stone her, right? 
And Jesus wrote on the ground, and the Bible says, they being convicted by their own consciences, right? He reproved them. And that is the, one of the functions of the believer in the world, by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is reproving the evil that is in the world by means of you and me. That's why he tells us these things in Ephesians. All right? That's what he's doing. So going back to our text here to finish up, our text says that, verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth or hinders, restrains, will let or hinder or strain until he be taken out of the way. In other words, there is a person who is against the power of Satan, who has greater power than Satan, that is at this moment restraining this, this wicked spirit that's in our world. And he will restrain this wicked spirit. This is what the passage is teaching. He will restrain that, that wickedness in this world until his presence, it says he is taken out of the way, his presence is removed. At which time, that force of evil that is present, which has its greatest climax, if you will, in the, the person of the Antichrist, that force is let loose. It's already there, but it's being restrained, right? So, and the only person that really fits this description, although the text does not say it plainly, is the Spirit of God by means of believers. And see, when the rapture happens, it's not that the Spirit of God leaves the world, it's that ministry that He uses us to perform on the earth is gone. That reproving ministry, convicting ministry. We should, listen, we should not underestimate the power upon those around us of our shining as lights and our living uprightly. It is a powerful restraining force because you know what, what it does is it, it pricks the consciences that's already, that are already in people. It pricks the consciences and reminds them of what is right. And that serves as a restraint. So here's the point. I don't think this is the greatest proof in the Bible of the pre-tribulation rapture fact that the church will be removed. I don't think this is the greatest truth. I think we've already studied some of the best proofs in the scripture of the, the, the fact that Jesus returns before the tribulation. But if you believe that, that this restraining person is the spirit of God in the church, uh, then, then it would be a, a good evidence that, G, that the church will be taken away before the Spirit of God, or before the uh, Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, before the tribulation. But, but it has to have that meaning to have that, to have that effect and to be that support. But the, point be, but the point is that the Spirit of God does have an important ministry in the world through us. And our presence matters. Jesus said, ye are the salt of the earth. Ye are the light of the world. I mean, we're, we... We might not think we're anything, and really we're not, but the Lord is using us in this world to restrain evil. There's no doubt about that. 
There's no doubt about that. But once that's removed, once he is removed, that evil that is already in the heart of man will be unrestrained. And that's when we go into the tribulation. That's when we go into the tribulation. Well, we didn't get through all of our verses or everything I want to say, but we can always pick up on this next week. All right, thank you for being here this morning. Let's pray.